The following message entitled, Learning How to Pray, part one of the series, Christ Over All, was given by Stephen Altrogi on the 12th of August, 2012, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Good morning, everyone. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. If you could open in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians, and just a very quick announcement, um, there, there is no women's prayer tonight here at the church, so just so you're aware of that, no women's prayer tonight here at the church. We're going to be starting a new series starting today, and it's going to be, we're going to be going through the book of Colossians, and this series is going to be called Christ Over All. And the reason we're calling it Christ Over All is because one of the main points of the book of Colossians that you're hopefully going to see as we go through this series is that the book of Colossians exalts Jesus Christ, and it shows how Jesus Christ is over everything and greater than everything, and supreme to everyone else. So it's Christ overall. That's the theme running through Colossians. And this morning, we're going to be in Colossians 1, verses 1 to 14. And one of the things I've learned over the, I guess, the years as, being, as I've been a Christian is that we need to learn how to pray. We learn how to pray by listening to other people Pray. And so I've learned, when I was younger, I learned from my mom and dad how to pray. I learned what to pray. I learned, you know, there's sort of a, I don't know, a lingo too with prayer. You know, you just, you just kind of learn how to pray by hearing other people pray. And now my kids are, I have three daughters, uh, my kids are hopefully learning from me how to pray. As they listen to me, I'm hoping that they're learning what to pray and how to pray, although I'm a little bit concerned because my two-year-old daughter, Ella, the other day, she prayed for me that my stomach would feel better, and then she immediately after that proceeded to stab me in the arm with her fork. <laughs> so, seems like something's missing as I'm, maybe there's a connection missing somewhere. I've got a little bit of work to do. And I, my, I don't know if you've heard my dad tell this, but my dad tells often of when he first became a Christian, and he was first praying to God, he would be swearing throughout his prayers. Because he just wanted to be authentic with God. Which, in a sense, it's a good impulse, but that's probably not something I would recommend as a practice when you pray, um, to be swearing as you pray. But this morning, we're going to have the privilege of learning how to pray from the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Colossians. We're going to be Praying, learning how to pray for ourselves. We're going to be learning how to pray for others. We're going to be learning what to pray for others. And it's like we get to listen in on Paul's prayers. So would you please open to Colossians 1, verses 1 to 14, and let's read this together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of, tr- grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all His power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. And I'm also going to pray for my dad who is preaching right now out in Dayton, Ohio in one of our fellow churches. He's probably right now just beginning to preach, so I'm going to pray for him as well. Lord, thank You for giving us Your Word. Lord, this is Your sacred Word and what a privilege it is to have it and to hear it and to read it. Lord, I know You want to speak to us this morning. I pray that You would speak to, speak to us as we hear Your Word. Help me preach Your Word effectively, God. Lord, teach us to pray as You want us to pray, Father. Lord, I pray for my dad as he is preparing to preach right now. Bless him. Let him bless that church. I pray for the church in Dayton that you would just bless them, Father. I pray you would protect him on his trip back. Thank you, Father. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the first verses of this book, Paul introduces himself to the Colossians. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This letter was written by the apostle Paul to a church in a city called Colossae. Colossae, I'm not exactly sure how the correct pronunciation. And this was a church that Paul did not start. In fact, he probably didn't even had never even visited this church. So he was writing to people that he didn't know, that he had never met personally. And yet, as he's writing, he is burdened for this church. Because it seems like there was danger of false teaching coming into the church. And we don't know exactly what that false teaching was, but it seems like it had something to do with worshiping angels. It seems like it had something to do with observing certain religious Holidays, it seems like it had something to do with fasting on particular days. And Paul is burdened for the church. And so, even though he doesn't know them personally, 
you can feel his care for them and he writes to them. And he wants to help clear up a number of issues for them. And I love how Paul greets them. I think we can quickly just fly by these first verses. I, I tend to do that when I read these letters and I just fly by, oh yeah, it's from Paul. Yeah, that's great, Paul. Grace and peace. That's how he always does this thing. But let's look at these first verses. I love how Paul greets them. He calls them saints and faithful brothers. Now that word brothers can also be translated brothers and sisters. So I think he's just using it to speak to the church as a whole. And he sees them as fellow saints. Now in the Bible, a saint is not someone that's particularly holy or who has been canonized by the church. A saint, every Christian is called a saint. Every Christian is a saint in God's eyes. And a saint, the word saint, what it, what it implies is being set apart for God. The word has the meaning of being set apart. And as Christians, we've been called by God, we've been set apart by God, and we're part of God's family. And so Paul sees the Colossians. When he thinks about the Colossians and the, the Colossian church, he thinks of them as his fellow saints, as his brothers and his sisters, as his fellow family members, and he wants, I love what he wants for them. He wants their lives to be chock full of God's grace and peace. He wants God's grace and peace just to be sloshing over in their lives. That's his desire for them. And this should, this should affect the way we think about each other in our church. See, we're not just a bunch of people who come together on a Sunday morning to hang out, shoot the breeze, and drink coffee. As much as we love doing those things, there's a lot more to Sunday than that. We are God's people gathered together. And each of our fellow Christians is a fellow saint who has been called by God, who has been set apart by God in His part of my family and your family. And this should affect the way we think about people. And this should give us every reason to pull back from disunity and to shy away from anything that would be cause strife or disunity in the church. Because we are God's fellow saints together. We are God's family members together. And so that person in the church that you're really struggling with or in your care group that you're really having a hard time with, they're a fellow saint. And we're called to love each other. You can feel Paul's love for them and to want God's grace and peace to be overflowing. So we should be praying for each other that God's grace and God's peace would be overflowing in each other's lives. That's how we should be praying for each other and thinking about each other. Lord, let, God, let your grace and your peace just pour out on them and overflow in their lives. Because we're fellow saints. And that's, I love this because Paul is praying this and he's never even met these people. And yet, this is how he sees them and how he prays for them. And then he goes on to say, we always thank, verse 4, verse 3, I'm sorry. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And this is where we get to put our ear on the door and listen in to Paul's prayers. And Paul says that he always thanks God when he prays for the Colossians. Now, just 
Stop right there. Already, when I read that verse, I'm already being challenged by that verse. When was the last time that I thanked God for someone? When was the last time that you thanked God for your spouse or your care group leader or a particularly good friend? Paul starts by saying, I always, I thank God for you. See, Paul, he's gonna, Paul's going to bring some correction into their life. He's going to bring some adjustment to them. But that's not where he starts. He starts with how grateful he is to God for them. And how you can feel his affection. I always thank God. And why, why does he thank God? Why does Paul thank God for the Colossians? Because he sees God working in their lives. He sees God at work. And so just... Here's a question to start rolling around in our our minds. Are you more prone to be thankful for someone or a critic? And I've got to be honest, so many times I am critical of people. I'm critical, and this challenges me. Are we more thankful to God for people or more prone to be critics? Are we more aware of where God is at work in people's lives or the sins we see in people's lives. See, here's why Paul was grateful. How could Paul be grateful for these people if he didn't even know them? There's a couple reasons why. First of all, he says he has heard of their faith in Jesus Christ. We always thank God the Father of our Lord when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. The fact that the Colossians have faith in Christ is a miracle in and of itself. Because only God Himself can produce saving faith in us. And so when Paul thinks about the Colossians, he says, wow, these are people that God Himself has produced saving faith in. And I can thank God for that. I can praise God for that because God has done a work in their life. And so if someone is a Christian, that right there is reason to say, I thank God for you because I thank God that He's working in your life and even the fact that you're a Christian means God Himself is at work in your life. So I thank God for you. And He rejoices because He's heard of their faith. And what He does is He... I love how Paul does this. Paul points out God's grace at work in their life. Paul just wants to draw their attention. He wants them to see, look, here's where God's working in your life. I've heard of your faith. And then he also rejoices because of the love that they have for one another. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And this is another evidence. He just wants them to see this is another evidence of God working in them. That they would love one another. Because it is not natural for a group like this, this size and this diverse, to come together and love one another. And in Titus, it describes us before coming to Christ as hating and being hated. And so when there is love among God's people, that's an evidence of God at work. And so if, if you see any love for God's people in your own life, can I encourage you about that? That's God's work in your life, because that is not natural. And when you see other people loving one another, and serving one another, we can praise God, and we can thank God for that, and we should point it out to Him and say, look, God's at work. 
Remember all the crazy flooding we had a couple weeks ago? You guys are like, yeah, I remember that. Uh, one of the reasons... Now, obviously, that did some terrible damage to people's houses. But one of the wonderful things that blessed me so much on that day was when I was going around to different houses. I was at Dora Rice's house, and then I... And at, first of all, at Dora's house... There's Keith McCracken and all his boys, and they're just down in Dora's basement had flooded, and they're just down in the muck and the dirt, and they're grabbing stuff out, and they're they're serving and loving her. That's God at work. And then I drive, I was driving home, and I drive by the Van Weeren's house, and I see cars parked all outside uh, their house. I see my dad's car outside their house. I see different people outside their house, and I think, praise God, our church is loving one another. And that's why we as pastors, so often when we pray, we thank God for you guys. Because we're so grateful for you guys. We're so grateful for how you love each other. And Paul was rejoicing over the Colossians' love for one another. And so can I encourage you, look for ways that you see God's people loving one another. And then thank God for that. And point that out to them. Say, do you see that? That's God working in you. And Paul reminds them that they have this hope laid up in heaven. And that's what fuels, that's what's fueling their faith and their love is they have a hope that is laid up in heaven. Just like Paul. Paul reminds, reminds himself and reminds them we both have this hope together laid up in heaven. So the question might come to your mind, how exactly do I see God's work in people's life? You know what a great starting point is? is just look around and see if you can see the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of God working in someone's life. When you see, do you see someone being patient? Husbands, do you see your wives being patient with your kids? I see that with Jen a lot. I also see her being impatient with the kids. And she sees me being impatient with the kids. But I see... That's God at work in her. And I can thank God for that. Because that patience is not natural. Trust me. It's not natural when my two-year-old daughter Ella just takes her bowl and whips it across the room and it's a Corel bowl. And you know what happens when Corel shatters. It really shatters. Everywhere. It's hard to be patient with that. But when I see patience at work, that's God at work. And I can thank God for that. What about joy? Do you see someone being joyful in trial? That's God's work. What about Love, joy, peace. Do you see someone having peace when they shouldn't have peace? You can thank God for that and you can point that out to them. We should be, I would love it if as a church, we were grace detectives. Always on the lookout, always trying to spot grace in people's lives. That would change the way we related to one another, wouldn't it? If we were always on the lookout, hey, Grace is at work in your life. I can see it here and here and here. Because a lot of times we're not aware of it in our own lives. I, I think a lot of times we're just not aware of how God is working in us. And so we need to help each other see it. And so when you are praying for the people in your life, when you're praying for your care group, thank God for them. Thank God for where you see that God at work in their life. Let's be on the hunt for where God is working. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that if we were more aware of God's grace, and I'm applying this to myself too, if we were more aware of God's grace at work in people's lives, 
than the sin in their lives, that there would be so much less conflict. If we just had the attitude of, attitude of seeing where God's grace was working. So let me ask you a question. Are you more aware of people's sins and deficiencies or are you more aware of God at work in their lives? So often I am more aware of a person's failures than I am of God at work. And I want that to change because that stinks and it shapes my attitude toward them. I want to have God's attitude towards people. It doesn't, when I have that attitude, it doesn't cause me, when I'm aware of people's, more aware of people's deficiencies, it doesn't cause me to love them. It just causes me to get irritated. But when we are aware of God at work and we can see God at work and we thank God for them and we thank God for how God is working in their lives, that changes our perspective towards people, doesn't it? It changes how we relate to one another. And so husbands, just let me challenge you with this. Are you more aware of where God is at work in your, in your wife or are you more aware of where you want her to change? Wives, are you, same question for you. Are you more aware of where God is working in your husband or where you want him to change? Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for praying that God would change them. Obviously, we want to be praying that for each other. But I believe that God wants us to be more aware of how God is working and point that out and encourage them. And then that, redu- that would re- totally revolutionize our attitude toward one another. Or what about the people in your care group? Are you more aware of how God's working in them? Or are you more aware of what irritates you about them? See, this, this changes our perspective. This gives us God's perspective on people. When we have this attitude, it lets us see through God's eyes because God sees Himself working in them. He knows that He is working in His people. And He sees Him working in His people. And so this will give us God's eyes. And it will remind you that these are my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and God is at work in these people. So can we be grace detectives this week? Can I ask you to do that? Can we be on the lookout for where God is working? And then in verse, look down at verses 5 and 6. Paul reminds them of this gospel that they've already heard. He said, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed... In the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Two things encourage me about these verses. First, Paul reminds them that the gospel, it's not just at work in their church. It's at work all over the world. Sometimes it's really easy to get isolated in our little Indiana bubble. I love Indiana, but it's easy to forget about, man, God is at work everywhere. He's at work all over the world. He's at work in Japan, in Morocco. He's at work in a- all over Asia. He's at work in West Virginia, which is like another country. He's, God's at work everywhere. And the gospel can't be stopped. It's like a runaway freight train that cannot be stopped. And so, this should just encourage us. The Gospel's going to keep going forward. It's going to keep spreading. And this should encourage our prayers. This should encourage us. There's a great book called Operation World. Uh, I'm not sure if we have it in our book ministry or not, but it's a great book because it takes you through all the different countries of the world in a year and it tells you how to pray for them. 
This should encourage us when we pray for the spread of the gospel because it is going to spread. It's already spreading all over the world. And he reminds them too, it's just not all over the world. And right here in, your, in our midst, in your midst, Colossians, and right here in our midst, it's bearing fruit all over the world as it also does among you. In Indiana, PA, and in all the surrounding areas, the gospel is on the move. And people are being saved and people are coming to our church and other churches in the area and hearing the gospel and trusting in Jesus. And you and I get to be a part of that. Isn't it amazing that we get to be a part of that? The other night when we had, we had a baptism here, it was, it was just so cool to see. When I, when I see the people coming out of the water, I think, wow. Yeah, God really is on the move in Indiana. He really is saving people. And so can I ask you to pray regularly, just pray, God, would you please bring your kingdom to Indiana, PA, to IUP, to the thousands of students on the campus. Let's be praying that as a church. Let's be praying that. Let's let this shape our prayers. Let's pray, Lord, show me the people who you want me to reach out to. Put people in my path. Students, be praying. Put Put students in my path, God, that you're working in so I can share the gospel with them. Lord, put my coworkers, start working in them and, and let me get to share the gospel with them and save them. Because God is at work all around us. We need his eyes to see it. But he is at work all around us in your job, in your school, in your play group. It's wherever you are, ask God to give you eyes to see where he's working. And you know what? I and we as pastors, you know what I would love to see in the next year? I'd love it if this church and if all the churches in the area, I, but I'm thinking about our church, I would love it if 700 people were regularly coming on a Sunday. That would pack out this room. And that would be wonderful. I'd, we would love to baptize 100 people next year. And it's not, I, I don't want to make it all about numbers. It's not all about numbers. But the thing is, when we talk about these numbers, we're talking about people coming to hear the gospel and know about Jesus and be saved and be baptized and be brought into the family of Christ. And that's what we want. We want to be reaching out and reaching this area for the gospel. And so that's what, that's what I'm praying. That's what we're praying that God would do. That's kind of like a dream that I'm praying for our church. Lord, would you pack this place out? Would you pack every gospel preaching church out in Indiana? Blow the walls out. Save people. Lord, let us baptize 100 people next year who got saved this year. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if we had to have a baptism like every week because so many people were being saved? See, that would require sacrifice, wouldn't it? If that happened, that would require sacrifice because that'd mean more people serving. That'd mean... More teachers needed in children's ministry. Maybe more services. But you know what? As we're going to see in the book of Colossians, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth the sacrifice. We're going to see again and again how glorious Jesus is and that He is worth every sacrifice we make for Him. And so we want to be praying, God, let Your kingdom come to this area so that we can bring more people to know You. Because Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it. And then in verse 7, Paul commends a man to them named Epaphras. He says, 
He's talking about the Gospel. Look down at verse 7. He says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras, he was a faithful minister to the Colossians. He faithfully instructed them. He faithfully taught them. He preached the Gospel to them. As your pastors... We want to be like Epaphras. We want to be faithful ministers. And we really covet your prayers. We desperately need your prayers. I believe that our success as pastors, success isn't the right word, but our faithfulness as pastors, our effectiveness, that's a better word, effectiveness, our effectiveness as pastors depends on your prayers. So would you please pray for us? We want to be like Epaphras. Would you please just pray for me and my dad and Joe and Bob that we would be faithful ministers of the gospel. Because that's what we need. We need your prayers. We desperately need your prayers. And so I'm asking, please, please pray for me. Pray for us. Because we need you. We need your prayers. And then now down in verse 9. Look down at verse 9. Paul, he transitions. There's a transition that takes place. He moves out of thanksgiving and he moves into petition and he says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so after giving thanks for the Colossians, Paul moves to asking He tells them what he prays for them. He prays very specific things. And this is where we can learn from Paul. We can learn how to pray for one another and for ourselves from Paul. This is where we put our ear to the door and Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And when Paul talks about knowing God's will, I don't think he's he's talking necessarily about specific decisions in life, like, Lord, should I move to Cleveland? Because the answer, well, the answer to that is always going to be no. But that's beside the point. Paul is praying, Paul is praying for them that they would know how to live their whole life in a manner worthy of the, the Lord. In other words, that they would have spiritual wisdom and insight to navigate all the difficult minefields and complex situations that come up in life, that they would have wisdom and knowledge to avoid sin and grow in godliness. And so Paul is praying, I'm praying that you will be filled with wisdom and all spiritual wisdom and insight and understanding. And here's why. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what I want so much. Isn't that what you want? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Oh man, that just describes what I want. Isn't that what you want? To walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord, just bearing fruit, and that you're already doing this. But Paul prays for the Colossians that they would do it more and more, that they would walk in a manner, a holy manner. What it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it means to walk in holiness and to walk in obedience to God and in righteousness. And to do these things he was describing earlier, to love one another, and to 
produce fruit. To produce fruit for God means to, to produce good works that honor God. That's, his, that's Paul's prayer. I pray for you that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's, this should be our prayer as a church. This should be our prayer for each other. This should be our prayer for ourselves. Lord, let me have spiritual wisdom so that I can just be blossoming in fruit in every good work for you. So that I can be fully pleasing to you. So that, when I, so that I know how to obey you in every situation. Help me bear fruit, Lord. Help me increase in the knowledge of you. Let's pray that for ourselves and let's pray that for each other. So it's interesting. So often, I think we especially think this as parents. So often we think we can, if we do enough or say enough of the right things, we can change people. Don't you feel like that? Like, I feel like if I can hold a person accountable enough and challenge them enough, then I can really change them. Or if I just can say all the right things to my kids, then they'll finally change. Well, you learn, early on I've learned that doesn't work. So what Paul prays, Paul, Paul prays for them. I love how Paul can't change them. But he prays to God that God would be working in them and helping them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit. So, yes, there is a place for challenging people and holding people accountable, but more than anything... We should be praying. Before you go to correct someone, let's pray for them first. And pray for them, Lord, help them bear fruit. Lord, help them be fully pleasing to You in the way they walk. Help them live in a manner worthy of the Gospel. Because this passage is a reminder, only God can change a person. I think a lot of times we think we can be the Holy Spirit. and We can somehow convict people and change people. Only God can change someone. And so this is how we should be praying. Lord, Oh, Lord, help them, Father. Help them walk in a manner worthy of You. So, husbands, husbands and wives, be praying this for each other. Instead of constantly correcting one another, be constantly praying this for one another. Now, that's not saying there's not a place. Of course there's a place for sitting down and talking through issues and, and correcting one another, but I think this would go a long way in working on our own hearts if instead of being more concerned about correcting them, we were just saying, Lord, I pray for my husband or I pray for my wife. Lord, help them. Help them, Lord. Give them wisdom. Give them spiritual wisdom. Convict them where they need to be convicted. Lord, would You please bear fruit in their life? Would You please help them be fruitful for You? Would You please help them be godly in the way they walk? Pray this for your kids. Pray this for the care group leaders. Can I challenge all the care group leaders? Pray this for everyone in your care group. Now I realize, I feel like I'm just stacking prayer thing on top of prayer thing on top of prayer thing. This is something we learn. It takes time to learn this. We're not going to get all this in one week or one day. But this is Paul and this is ultimately God teaching us what to pray. We need to be a praying church. That's what we need to be. I need to be a praying pastor. We need to be a praying church because without being a praying church, we won't be bearing fruit for God. We can't bear fruit for God effectively unless we are a praying church and unless we're praying for one another. If we're going to bear good fruit, if we're going to bear 
good fruit in every good work. We need to pray for one another that God would do this. And then Paul goes on to pray for them in verse 11. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And we need endurance, don't we? We need endurance. There are some of you here who really need endurance. Whether it's because of health issues, financial issues. And you just feel like, I need endurance. This is hard. And we know, we know these people. We know, we know people in our own lives who need endurance. And God wants to give you endurance. He wants to give you strength in the midst of your trial. Sometimes you just feel like, I cannot keep going on like this. God, listen to how it describes what He wants to do. He wants to strengthen you with all power according to His glorious might. That's how He wants to strengthen you. He wants to strengthen you with all... He doesn't want to just give you like a little like spritz of power or a little like, here, I'm going to hold up my dropper of power, open your mouth. No, God wants to strengthen you and give you endurance with all power. And where does it come from? It comes from His, according to His glorious might. That means it comes in line with who God is. Our God is an all-powerful God. And because our God is an all-powerful God, that's the kind of power He gives. He gives power according to who He is. And so that's the kind of endurance and power He wants to give you in the midst of trial. That's the kind of endurance and power He wants to give your friends in the, in the midst of their trials. Patience, endurance, strength. And God is eager to give that. And He wants you to receive that through prayer. So I would encourage you to just pray. If you're feeling weak and weary, just say, God, I am worn out from this. I am worn out. Would you please... Strengthen me with all power according to your glorious might. For your friends who are going through a trial, let's just pray, Lord, you have all power. Would you please strengthen them right now according to that power? Would you please sustain them according to that power? Would you please lift them up according to that power? And some of you might feel like because you've been going through a trial so long, you might feel like, you know what, I haven't done so good in this trial. I haven't really honored the Lord so much. Am I, am I qualified? I feel like I've disqualified myself. I used to be so strong in my faith, and then this happened, and now it just feels like I'm a train wreck. And I think God would just want to encourage you this morning and remind you this morning, He is the one who has qualified you. You are qualified to serve. You are qualified in God's eyes because He is the one who qualifies you through the blood of His Son. And so you shouldn't feel like, I'm disqualified. You should feel God's pleasure in you this morning because He has qualified you for the inheritance that we will receive when Jesus returns. And He wants you to feel His pleasure. You are qualified. He's pleased with you. And you have a wonderful inheritance coming. And this inheritance, it's going to be incredible. It's, we are children of God, and as children of God, we get an inheritance from God. 
when Jesus returns and creates the new heavens and the new earth, we are going to receive our inheritance as sons of God. And I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but it's, I know it's going to be incredible and awesome. Can you imagine, what, what's it going to be like to feast with Jesus? What's it going to be like? Sometimes I wonder, I wonder if Jesus plays sports. What's it going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth? It's going to be an incredible inheritance we're going to receive. It's going to be far more than we can think or even imagine. And think of the faintest, think of the greatest joys you've had here on earth as the faintest reflection of the joy that you're going to have when we receive our inheritance from God. The best spiritual joys you've had, the best pleasures you've had, all of that is the faintest reflection of what we're going to receive in our inheritance as the sons of God. And how do we know this is coming? How do we know that we're going to get it? Well, here's how. In verse 13 it says, He has delivered us... Oh, I love this verse. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Before we come to Christ, we are under the dominion of Satan and sin. We are ruled by darkness. We are ruled by sin. We are ruled by Satan. You might not feel like that, but that's the truth. You cannot escape the power of your sin. But when God comes and saves us, I love this picture. It's like He kicks down the the door of our darkness and light comes flooding in and He takes us out and He brings us into His kingdom, the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus. And it's a kingdom of light and joy where we receive forgiveness and redemption. And we've been delivered out of that old kingdom of darkness. And now we're in the kingdom of the beloved Son. And I just want to ask ask you, do you remember what it was like being in the kingdom of darkness? And aren't you glad God rescued you out of it? Aren't you, yeah, aren't you glad God rescued you out of that? Because I feel like, what? oh man, we've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness And we're in the kingdom of Jesus now. Isn't this, I feel like, isn't that right there, that closing verse, isn't that reason enough for thanksgiving, no matter what our circumstances or trials? And I'm not saying in any way to minimize trials. Trials are hard. But this verse in and of itself is enough. It should fuel our thanksgiving. This should be like gasoline on a fire of thanksgiving for our hearts. This should cause us to say, thank you God that I've been delivered out of the domain of darkness and put in the kingdom of your beloved Son. And some of you this morning, you're still in the kingdom of darkness. You haven't made Jesus your King. And you haven't turned away from your sins. And I want to appeal to you this morning to stop trying to run your own life and to turn away from the life of ruling yourself and say, Jesus, I want You to be my King. 
And I ask you to forgive me for my sins. And if you do that, He will rescue you. You may not know this, but you need to be rescued. Because what the Bible says is if we, we, we have two choices, Jesus can pay for our sins or we can pay for our sins. And if we don't turn to Jesus, then we will pay for our sins for eternity in hell. And this morning, because God loves you so much, I want you to hear God's voice saying to you, turn to me for forgiveness. Quit waiting. Don't wait any longer. First of all, you don't even know the darkness you're in, but you are in darkness. Let Jesus rescue you out of that. And let Him save you out of that. And if, if you're realizing right now that that's you, I would love to talk to you at the end and pray with you. Because God loves you and He wants to rescue us. He wants to save you. And so I feel like this verse, it brings us back to where we started, to thanksgiving. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So I think the appropriate way to respond is, I'd like to have the worship team come up. And we're going to sing the song, I Need You. Because that song, what it is, it's a reflection of the fact that we need God. And that we are dependent on God. And that's what prayer is. It's being dependent on God. And then afterwards, I would just love to pray for you. We're going to have a prayer team up here, and we would love to pray for you. God loves to answer prayers. And so if you are weak or weary, we'd love to pray for you. If you're struggling in any area, we'd love to pray for you. So let's, let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, thank You that You have delivered us out of the domain of darkness. Thank You, God, for saving us. Man, thank You, God. We can't say thank You enough. We cannot say thank You enough. Thank You for stepping down into our darkness and rescuing us. Lord, I pray that You would please help us be a praying church. Help me be more faithful in prayer. Help us be a praying church. Help us be grace detectives this week on the lookout for God's work in people's lives. Thank You, Father. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.